everybody, shalom and welcome ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Brutal Planet, right here on Yeshiva Radio, as well as iTunes, Vimeo, and YouTube, as well as your social media pages. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with each and every single one of you here today, as we continue on through Rabbi Shalom Arusha's book, The Garden of Peace, A Marital Guide for Men. You know, it's we have gone all the way to chapter 9 so far. We're in chapter 9 this week, and we only have five more chapters to go. So I want those of you who have been a part of this series and have been listening to this series the past nine weeks, I want you guys to go and give yourselves a pat on the back, first of all. And I, I want to hear from many more of you on you know how this series has helped, how applying these things has affected your marriage in a positive way. You know, we've been getting at least, at least around 200 emails each and every single week from people that have been focusing on this series, on men that have saying this series, and they've ordered the book as well, saying that this has transformed my marriage far beyond what it is that I could have ever hoped that it would. And I'm telling you, that is an exciting thing to hear. That is such an an exciting thing to hear. So we're going to be continuing on a little bit more here today. Oh, and I also wanted to say say this. We had a listener, as a matter of fact, go and send me this, as a matter of fact. And um, it's not something that I will be using at this point, of course. But um, And as a matter of fact, I'm kind of worried because it says Atlanta Fountain Public Library. Uh, but a listener had sent me this. It's a book called Becoming a Jewish Parent, How to Explore Tradition and Spirituality with Your Children. And I'm sure that at some point in my life, this will be something that I will be looking at. But I'm almost wondering if they're expecting me to go and return this to the Atlanta uh, Fulton Public Library. I don't know. Uh, maybe they had a book sale over there. Let's, let's hope that's what it is. I would hate for our listener to have such... Horrible late fees because of that, but I want to thank um, our listener who had gone and sent me that uh, very kind gift, and uh, thank you very much. Okay, so let us go ahead and get started here today in Chapter 9. We're on page 187. Can you believe that? We have actually covered 186 pages thus far. I mean, it's just just hard to fathom. Um, But it starts out here in Chapter 9. It says, Rabbi Shimon the son of Chalafta taught the vessel for blessing is peace. For it says in Psalm 29, Hashem will give strength unto his nation. Hashem will bless his nation with peace. And that's written in the Medrash Rabbah, chapter 21. Only someone who has peace in the home can truly succeed in life. Oh, soak that in. Soak that one sentence in because this is the premise for the entire thing. You, you, let me tell you something. You're going to learn here today how it is that Shalom Bais, peace in the home, how it's going to affect every part of your life, even your finances. Hashem's blessing, the source of all success, All success is based upon that of Hashem's blessing. Both physical and spiritual, including income, health, 
children's ed- education, comfort, joy, wisdom, and understanding requires a vessel of peace. That's something that it is that we often don't talk about. That's something that's never talked about in the Hebrew Roots movement of the Messianic faith, and not so often within my faith of Lapid Judaism. It's not something that's often talked about, but it's something that it is that we all yearn for, something that it is that we all strive for. We're going to learn here today how to make this happen. In other words, these blessings can be maintained only in an environment of a peaceful home. True peace starts at home by living peacefully with one's wife. A man who doesn't strive for peace with his wife the person closest to him in the world can't say that he lives peacefully with other people. Make uh, Many make a mistake in thinking that they have peace with everyone, but their home life is a different story. Ev- uh, they even use this fact to justify themselves. Since they get along fine with everyone else, else their wife must certainly be responsible for the problems in the home. If a person lives in peace with strangers, but not with his own wife, then he is the culprit. If he is honest with himself, if he'll see that he's kind to those who are really, who really deserve nothing, casual acquaintances, casual acquaintances haven't given him a tiny fraction of the kindness that his wife has. Yet, with them, he's patient, polite, considerate, compromising, and all smiles, even when he's not in a good mood. But even when he comes home to his wife, the closest person to him in the world, who does incessant loving kindness to him, and with whom he has the greatest obligation to live in peace, his behavior is far from loving and considerate. He has little patience for her. He's too tired to talk to her or to listen to her. He doesn't smile. If he's not in the uh, in the mood and makes no effort to make her happy or to give her a good feeling about herself, he's less willing to compromise with her than he is with a stranger and demands that she show him proper respect. If he'd behave with her like he behaves with other people, he'd enjoy a peaceful relationship with her too, and she'd be happy as a lark. What exactly is a lark? You know, I've always wondered that. What exactly is a lark? I've heard the phrase, but yet I've never understood what exactly a lark is. A man without peace at home can't boast that he has had peace outside the home. On the contrary, he should be ashamed. For this indicates that he's a hypocrite. The peaceful person that he appears to be on the outside of the home, home is just a ploy to obtain approval and honor. It has nothing to do with him being a truly peaceful person and certainly doesn't qualify him as a vessel worthy of divine blessing. We're going to stop right there. We have all seen this. We've seen this very thing. I'm sure that many of you have had people in your congregation, whether it be a Jewish congregation, whether it be a Messianic congregation, whether it be a Hebrew Roots congregation, or whether it be in your church. We have all seen that we have something that's going on within that of a marriage. We see that they decide to divorce. And then we start to hear all of these things from both sides. 
This is what this person has done. This is what the other person's done. But they come into the congregation and they put on this entire thing like it is that they are the nicest person in that of the world. These are individuals who are not honest with their spouse and they're certainly not being honest with you. As Rabbi Shalom Arush has said, the person is putting on a ploy. The person is a hypocrite. I have seen this time and time again. I have gone and, uh, you know, tried to help couples that have had issues within that of their marriage. And I have a very good success rate in this. But at the same time as we have some, we have some men who don't want to learn and to say, hey, maybe the problem's not everybody else. Maybe it is that I need to work on myself. And thus, if a person doesn't have that sort of humility to say, you know what, maybe it is I need to work on myself. Maybe everybody else is not necessarily the problem. If they refuse to come to that point, then the fact is that they are not going to advance or have any sort of walk with God. None whatsoever. And so let's talk a little bit about this here. Now, the thing is that you have a person with whom it is that you are with every single day. You sleep in the same bed with them. You raise children with them. You, uh, eat their dinner. <laughs> you, uh, you know, uh, you know, these, this is a person that you dwell with that you're, uh, you know, hanging out with more than ever, than anybody else. Now, the thing is that what happens is there's a psychology. People get comfortable. They get comfortable in saying, well, you know what? I've done this, that, and the other. This is going to make her happy for a duration of time. And so, considering that it is that I calculate, she should be happy because I've done X, Y, and Z for this duration of time. If she's unhappy within a time period before it is that I do the next thing, then the fact is that she's just ungrateful. And that's what the psychology is for quite a few of these people. So, you know, they say, you know, I have every right to come home and have a sourpuss on my face. You know, I have every right to come home and to not really want to talk and not really want to listen because it is I've been working all day. These are excuses, ladies and gentlemen. These are excuses. And the fact is, it is very interesting that the very same person, a person would come in contact with a person they don't even know. Say it is that they sell cars. Maybe it is they work at a burger place. Maybe it is that they, uh, that they do customer service. Maybe it is they work at a Starbucks. Maybe it is that they're a lawyer. Maybe it is that they're a doctor. Notice they have a big smile on their face for every single patient, for every single client, for every single diner that comes in to the establishment and where it is that they work or that it is that they own. And because of the fact that they see their job, they see what it is that they do as bringing an investment, bringing a, uh, uh, you know, some profit into their life, something that helps to sustain them. And they could justify this, say, you know what? I am this way because of the fact that I need to make sure to keep my job because of the fact that I am providing for my wife, I'm providing for my children. And this is the justification for that. But then when I get home, I've already locked down this contract. 
So why in the world do I need to go out of my way to make sure to have a smile on my face and to be positive and to, you know, to listen and to, you know, to, to do all, to do all these things. I already bought the cow. What in the world do I need to worry about this for? The cow's mine. That's the way that many people see it. Now think of how it is. You know, the thing about those women, women understand this. They do. Now I want you to think on this. Men who have, you know, let's be honest, be honest. And many of you could probably say, yeah, you know, that, that is, or that was me. The question is, is do you really think that your wife doesn't realize this? Do you really think this? If you believe that she doesn't know this, then you are fooling yourself, my friend. And let me tell you something else. How is it that you think that she feels upon knowing this? That it is that you are showing gimlut chesedim and chesed towards somebody it is that you don't even know. Somebody who is in your life for maybe a couple of minutes or maybe a couple of hours. To notice that that person is obtaining chesed from you, but yet you come home and the person that it is that you have signed the ketubah with, you're not practicing the same chesed. chesed. How in the world is that supposed to make her feel? Think on that. The true measure of a person's character is how he behaves at home with his wife. The home is the primary place for fulfillment of all the commandments between ourselves and our fellow man. Love your neighbor as yourself. To judge others favorably. To to empathize. To be considerate. To make others happy. And to concede one's wishes for the sake of peace and so on. Only someone who merits uh, pieces at home merits the peace that is the spiritual vessel for all blessing. Everything starts at home. I say this to people all the time. They they say, you know, I'm getting ready to start the Shabbos by going to uh, by 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 going to the synagogue. Shabbos doesn't start at the synagogue. If that's what you think, then you have a very distorted view of the Shabbos. You really do, because Shabbos starts at home. Everything stems out from the place and where it is that you reside with your wife. That's where everything comes from. When you have shalom bayis, then it is that you are able to say the words that we say rather so often every single Friday at sundown to Saturday. We say Shabbat Shalom. Can a person honestly say that if they don't have shalom bayis? Notice that it is that there's a tradition within that of Judaism of bringing in the Shabbos into the home where it is the wife goes and lights the candles. She goes and recites the bracha. And then there's a Shabbos meal and all these things, all arguing and all these things cease to exist during the time of the Shabbos. Where is it that Shabbos starts? Shabbos starts within that of the home. A home without peace is a home without blessing. Whoa. Wow. During the time, uh, during the time we wrote this chapter, a rich couple came to me for counseling. Both husband and wife earned high salaries. 
From a superficial glance, it seemed that they had everything. The wife began to celebrate her long saga of suffering. Her well-liked and well-respected husband was an entirely different person behind closed doors. He constantly belittled her and tormented her so much that she felt she could die from the suffering. Their big income was just an illusion. Where they were deeply in, um, they were both deeply in debt. Whatever they earned simply disappeared. The wife began begging me in tears. Help me. Help me. I have no one to turn to, to tell the truth to. My husband is well known and well respected. People won't believe that my husband, with his wonderful character, behaves at home like he does. I can't live like this. There is no blessing. Every day, something else goes wrong. One day, the car, then the refrigerator. All of our money gets spent on repairmen and medical bills. Despite the huge income, the couple was in debt and miserable. Simply, because the husband didn't treat the wife properly. They lacked the thing that they needed most, the vessel for containing blessing, which is peace. A husband who lives peacefully with his wife will see blessing in whatever he does and will lack nothing for it. Our sages say, A man must always be careful with his wife's honor. Since blessing in a man's home is by virtue of his wife. And that's from Malchut Shemoni Lech Lecha. Even though the quote brought from the beginning of the chapter says that the peace is only the vessel for blessing, there is no contradiction. The peace that is the vessel for blessing is the, is the peace between man and wife. We manifest things. Our emotional, um, our emotional state causes things to be manifest. They can be exemplified through words within that of the home. When words come out that think that something is broken within a person, when they have the feeling of brokenness, then what happens? Those things manifest because everything comes from that of the nefeshot, comes from that of, uh, of the soul. It comes from within. For Yeshua says that a man that looks in a woman in lust has already committed adultery. Thus, whenever it is that we talk about the product of something, such as within the Torah, we could talk about Negesorot or Metzorim, the, uh, the leprosy. We can talk about that. The sages say, well, you know, that was because of Lashon Harim, of the evil speech brought about from Miriam against that of Moshe Rabbeinu, um, that she spoke against Moshe Rabbeinu and spoke against Aharon, that that is what caused Metzorim. That's what caught, and that was the spiritual condition being the Negesorot. And so with that, we see that first of all, Negesorot is mentioned first, not the Metzor. 
So the Negezorot brings on the Metzorah. The things that are within us will then cause things to manifest. And we say the problem is the refrigerator. The problem is the car. The problem is the stove. The problem is the clogged up sink or the flooding in the basement. That's the problem. You know, one of the things as, as, as a person who's a student of Kabbalah, and I've said this before on here, is that we see God at work in every single instance in life. And we analyze every single instance of life. And we say to ourselves, what is Hashem trying to show me? And all the time, and each and every single time, it's something in terms of correction that we need within that of our soul. We need correction. This is why it is that Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, says, Baruch Hashem, for all the things that it is that I've gone through. And this is why it is that the goal of the Torah, as said by Chazel, is for the sake of Mashiach, as well as for the sake of Shalom. You cannot have Mashiach fully without Shalom. Shalom has to be everything. A person could say, well, you know, I have not been in this situation, Christopher, because I'm, I'm going and learning about this for in case it is that I ever am married. You know, I'm just, you know, dating at the moment or I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm checking out my options. <coughs> so, you know, this is not something I really need to work on now. I say, Hashvi Shalom, God forbid for saying such a thing. Instead, right now you're in a training period within that of your life. This training period says, okay, the things that I'm going through in my life, the things that are coming against me, how is it that I am responding to these things? And what is within me that possibly causes me to lose Shalom and to not see Hashem? Instead, I see Nothing but the enemy. I see people coming against me. I see everybody else is the problem. How is it that I train myself and a person must work to train themselves so that it's not like, well, you know, I'm just going to be on the, uh, doing on the job training when it is at some point that it is that I do get married. Let me tell you something that I even do. If I ever have an instance to where it is that I am feeling upset in any way, shape or form. You know, if something, if, if I have this feeling of something not so good being within me, one of the things I do is that I make sure that that feeling doesn't manifest within that of my home. People come to my home all the time and they're like, I don't understand it. You know, it's such a small apartment, but however, I feel just, so, you know, like it's like it's bigger. I feel like, you know, it's just major shalom within this place. And the reason being is because I do simply do this. Whenever it is that I'm not feeling, feeling, you know, like having shalom at the moment, even if it's just for a little bit, I go outside, put on my headphones, put some uh, music on, on my, on my phone. I go for a walk. I don't come home until it is that that shalom is back. Until it is that I have thought about the thing that it, whatever it is that I'm, that I'm going through, I'm able to obtain my shalom because then the feeling of things not being so good don't manifest within that of my home. Okay? It's released elsewhere. It's not released in the place where it is that, you know, it is that I reside. And this is one of the things that, you know, many of you other single guys 
can train yourself in doing. And also to realize through that, you know, one day it's going to start raining when that happens, okay? And the thing about it, though, is you say to yourself, which is more important, getting a little wet or having, uh, you know, shalom bayis and being able to train myself in this. For the things, first of all, Yeshua goes and says that we need to worry about the one that can destroy the the, the nefesh and not no, not so much the uh, the goof. Okay, not so much the body, but however the soul, whoever can destroy that, that's the one we got to worry about. So therefore, our 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 entire focus should be on the things that are e- that are eternal. Our sages also taught that when a husband and wife merit the divine presence, dwells between them. Oh, I love that, and that's from Talmud Sota seventeen. Um, when man has peace in his home, the divine presence accompanies him and protects him from the pitfalls of this world. He has success and blessing in everything he does. Without peace in his home, he is exposed to all kinds of dangers and doomed to darkness and fail and failure for what they do not merit. The fire consumes them without Shalom Bait. He cannot succeed for Hashem is not with him. Okay. Now this is this is something that we have we have to realize, and I always like to use this metaphor. And uh, whenever it is that you are, you know, bound to somebody, whether it is that you have a uh, um, that uh, you have gone and um, you know are married, or whether it is that you are betrothed, or um, you know, or what have you, the thing is that first of all, you have to treat the relationship. As though it is that the two of you are dancing. Okay? You're dancing to your favorite, I don't know, Richard Mark song. Or maybe some Atlantic star or something. You know, who knows? You're dancing to one of those songs to where it is that, uh, you know, everything kind of slows down. You know, you look into each other's eyes. And the thing that you realize, that you must realize, is that with every step that you take, to the left, to the right, forward and backward that Hashem is right there in between you guiding you both Hashem is not going to guide one person in a different direction from the other if it is that they merit Shalom and so through meriting Shalom men we need to do a better job of learning to compromise we need to learn to do a better job of not having our own way and uh, trying to obtain these uh these feminine attributes of us you know being able to have our honor instead it is that we operate like a well-oiled machine in many ways to where it is that we glide back and forth in synchronicity with our wife with hashem guiding us in the middle and hashem will guide us by causing both the man and the wife to move together and they move together because of that of Shalom Ba'is. Okay. Rabbi Shalom Arush goes on here in page 190. Hashem places peace between husband and wife above everything else, even above his own honor. We learn this from the case of the Sotah, the wayward wife. The husband of a woman who secluded herself with another man suspects her of infidelity and brings her to the priest of the Holy Temple. The latter would inscribe the biblical passage dealing with the sotah on a parchment which has been immersed in a jug of fresh spring water until the writing is dissolved. 
The wife would then drink some of the water and it would test her innocence or guilt. This is in, uh, I believe it's within that of uh, um, the book of Shemot or Exodus. The passage written on the parchment contains the Tetragrammaton, Hashem's ineffable four-letter name, which is forbidden to erase. Yet here the parchment is, pur- is purposefully immersed in water until the writing had all been washed off. Hashem commands us to erase his name. Erase the four-letter name. I won't even write the four-letter name over here on the, uh, on the, uh, on the chalkboard paint here. Because if I erase it, then I have, you know, desecrated the four-letter name. Or if I was even off by, you know, even a, even a, just a little bit upon writing it, the sages would be so, or the scribes would be so careful whenever it is that they would write it on, in the Torah scrolls. That's how the four-letter name is treated within that Judaism. Unlike the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is like, oh, you know, and all that stuff. You know, it's a totally different thing. Um, Yet the parchment was purposefully immersed in the water until the writing had been washed off. Hashem commands us to erase his name in order to, to prove the innocence of the wife, to make peace between her and her husband. There is no other situation where this is allowed. Wow. This is even more incredible when we consider that Hashem himself observes the laws of the Torah. From where do we know that Hashem visits the sick? Genesis chapter 18 verse 1 states, And Hashem appeared to him, Avraham, after his circumcision in the plains of Mamre. From where we know um, that he buries the dead, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 6, And he buried him, Moses, in the valley. Bereshit Rabbah chapter 8 is where it goes and talks about all these things. But when a couple's relationship is hanging in the balance, Hashem commands us to transgress severe prohibition of the Torah, to erase his name, to teach us how important it is to him that husband and wife live in peace. How great is peace? For Hashem says to erase in water, the name that is written in holiness, in order to make peace between man and his wife. That's written within that of Vaikra, Rabbah chapter 9. You know, we live in a society now, and we're going to be talking about this here today, with in the religious society, that is, to where it is that a person feels that they are doing Hashem's will, if there is disagreement within that of the home, between man and wife, I've heard countless stories to where it is that I've heard, my wife has chosen not to observe the Torah, and I am going to leave her because of the fact that I serve Hashem. I serve Hashem. This is a person who is a fraud. This is a person who is a fake. Such a person does not have the divine presence of Hashem if he does not have Shalom Ba'is. And why is it that the wife is going away from that of Shalom Ba'is and going away from observance of the Torah? Why is this? Because of the fact that we've seen it quite so often. People tend to use the Torah. Whether it be Torah Shebektav or Torah Shebektav, they use it as Torah, as, as, uh, as bullets from a gun. 
to go into harm an adversary and sometimes a person's very own flesh and blood, their own spouse, is seen as being the enemy, the one where the bullets are flying towards. And so a person becomes this religious zealot that is so horribly misguided and is so far from the will of Hashem because of the fact that they choose not to merit Shalom Ba'is. Let us go on here. When a man is um, exacting about every penny that his wife spends and quarrels with her whenever he feels that she has spent unnecessarily, he'll say goodbye to both Shalom Ba'it and his income. <laughs> Without peace, the household's income is negatively affected. Someone that moans about a few pennies could ultimately lose thousands. If a husband would realize that blessings, or what blessings a peaceful relationship involves, he would ruin his marital peace for any amount of money in the world. He wouldn't ruin his marital peace for any amount of money in the world. And certainly not for a few pennies. When a man is easygoing about his wife's spending and doesn't comment or complain, even when he sees that she could have saved money here or there, he will have a constant influx of blessing and will lack n- and will lack nothing. Our sages say, honor your wives in order to become rich. By being flexible in your money matters, for the sake of peace, a husband attains both peace and more money by virtue of peace, peace's blessing. He'll succeed in everything that it is that he does. And this is very true. This is very true. You know, I, I've, Throughout my years of managing uh, different establishments, one of the things that I've always had to do is I've always had to hire people. And when I have to hire people, the criteria is different for different places. You know, some people look for experience, you know, and, and experience can be a good thing, but I, I, I take a different route at times. Sometimes I say, well, you know, experience could be good, but also at the same time, you know, with experience in certain things, people will say, well, this is the way that we d- did things over here. And so this is the way I'm going to do it over here because I think that, that that way is better as opposed to having a uniformity and consistency with a product that is being put out. And so, you know, you know, so that could be a, either a good or bad thing. But the ability to learn is one of the big ones. The ability to learn is one of the big ones. And also, above everything else, is the attitude. How it is that they approach situations, whenever it is that they come and sit down for an interview with me, what kind of look do they have on their face? Are they smiling? Are they, are they happy to be given the opportunity? Are they going to have a positive outlook upon the business? Are they going to act in a positive way when it is that I interview them and whenever it is that they ultimately get the job? Um, and are they going to raise morale? as well within the others and with which it is they work with. Is that, you know, what is going to ultimately end up happening? Those are the things that I'm looking for. And the thing that I can tell you is that those that I have hired and that those that, you know, have been able to, maybe they're not the best at what it is that they do, but first of all, being able to trust them. And secondly, knowing that they're going to raise, raise morale, knowing that the customers like them, and knowing that the people that they work with like them is going to cause me to help them out financially 
Chances are, I, I, you know, if, I, if I'm in the opportunity, I would be able to give them a raise and give them more hours and all that other stuff that will make them more financially stable. And so the question then becomes, where does these attributes come from? Well, that comes from their home life a great deal of the time. By looking at their home life, it is a, uh, is a mere reflection of how it is that they are going to react at the job. The thing I can tell you is the people that it is that I've worked with and that I've made the mistakes of hiring at times are individuals with whom it is that have this sense of constant complaining. Everybody's out to get me. You know, this person's wrong. This person's a piece of crap. This person's a piece of crap. Everybody's a piece of crap. Everybody needs to bow to me because I'm the smartest person in the room. And so the thing about those that, you know, I, I say, first of all, I certainly don't want to work with such a person. I'm sure that nobody else does either. It's going to cause my people to quit. So what's going to happen? Because of the fact that you don't bring peace within that of the workplace, I'm going to cut your hours. I'm only going to, going to put you in there whenever it is that I don't have to be there. That's the way that I handle these things, you know? And so the thing about it, though, is that it's, it's a direct parallel to a person's relationship with their significant other as well as, you know, their wife, whenever it is that they're married. The husband, understandably, wanted to protect his children. Am I, did I go too far here? Yes, I did. I did. Sorry. Sorry. A mother had been trying, had, had, a, had a trying afternoon with her rowdy children. They were rude to her, wild, and disobedient. By the time her husband came home, she lost her composure. She shouted at them, calling them names, waving a threatening palm at the most insolent one. Her husband, who had had a, who hasn't had to deal with them all day, is horrified. He runs up and grabs a hold of her hand before she has a chance to bring it down on, on her son. What's the matter with you? Calm down. For goodness sake, what crime have they committed? There's a showdown. With merciful daddy and the kid and the kids on one side and mommy, the wicked witch on the other side. It seems that mommy loses, but in reality, everyone loses. We're going to explain this here. The mommy understandably wanted to protect his, or the husband understandably wanted to protect his children. But this shouldn't have been at the expense of his wife. Why not pity her? Maybe the kids were being insufferable and had pushed her too far. Even if she had an uncontrollable temper, he should be compassionate with her and try his best to help help with them. But more so, in his attempt to protect his children from his mother's anger, he actually causes them far more damage than her anger ever could have. She may have called them names or even smacked them, but by siding with them, he ruins peace in the home. The turbulent and unhappy home that he's now left with does more damage to a child's emotional health than anything else. A husband that shows restraint and doesn't correct or challenge his wife in her moments of anger with the children gains on many levels. First, he perseveres with the peace with his wife. When children grow up in the home where there is peace and love, 
where they see and feel that mommy and daddy are simply an inseparable entity. They derive a, a love of life and tremendous inner strength to cope with whatever difficulties they may face. A peaceful home with a basis to build on their future married lives and the greatest guarantee of emotion, emotionally healthy children. With peace in the home, even a mother's greatest mistake in raising children won't hurt them at all. On the other hand, when children grow up in a home where there is no peace between the parents, they develop emotional problems, they have difficult with, difficulty with coping with life, and will likely fail miserably in their own marriages. So when a merciful father protects his children from his mother's rage at the expense of his peace with her, he actually damages them far more than he protects them. Destroying the peace in the home is like taking a sledgehammer to their souls. Secondly, by supporting her rather than criticizing, a husband gains his wife trust and calms her down. She regains his composure and joy, regards her behavior, and soon makes amends with the children. Children are not as deeply affected by their mother's anger because they innately know that she is emotional and acts on her feelings. They know she angers easily, but it is also quick to be appeased and, wins, and, and then smothers them in love. This is all a sharp contrast with the anger of the father, which affects them far more and deeply. But when a husband comments to his wife about her behavior with her children, she feels deeply insulted. Why doesn't he understand her and stand by her side? And if her husband and children join together against her, she has no motivation to improve her behavior. On the contrary, she gets even angrier with the children since she blames them for her feeling insulted by her, by, by her husband and for causing strife in the home. From a purely practical point of view, the only way to succeed and to successfully deal with any problems that arise is in the way of peace. Where there's love and peace, there is divine assistance and peace of mind that one can deal effectively with the problem. By putting peace with his wife as the number one priority, a man merits the divine assistance and inner tranquility. The way to handle a situation such as this would be the, let's say that it is men that you came home and you see that your wife is acting somewhat irrationally with the children. The best way to handle this is to first of all understand that there is something emotionally going wrong. The thing to do would be to quickly and with a nice, calm, and sincere voice, and actual sincerity, saying, "Honey, what's on your mind? What's 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 going on? Let's let's go let, let's go and talk about this." And even better yet, say, "You know what? Let's let's go and get a babysitter. You and I are going to go and have have dinner together. Just you and I. Let's go and get dressed up. Let's go and you know have a nice romantic evening." And then, you know, you guys go and do that and you could talk about these things. And the thing about it, though, is that, see, what happens when this happens is that, first of all, she realizes that, first of all, you're not against her. She needs to always be the first priority above all else. 
she could have acted, you know, horrendously over what the way that it is that she that she has acted, but it's based upon her emotion. These things affect, again, as Rabbi Shulmarish says, affect children at a much smaller respect than if it is that a man acts in the in in the same way. If a man acts in the same way, then first of all, their children the 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 children are going to have issues for for quite a while until it is that they have a positive influence. So don't think that it works both ways here because children intuitively know that mommy and daddy are different, yet they are a co cohesive unit. And there's a reason why mommy does what it is that she does. There's a reason why daddy does what it is that he does. Okay. Um, and so the thing about it though, is that when something is out of the wrong box and it gets placed into a different box in their mind, it's one of those things that is deeply emotionally upsetting and, you know, causes massive trauma to a child. And so the thing about it, though, is that, first of all, when a woman is, is in a predicament such, 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 such as this, maybe she's cursing at the children, maybe she's, you know, saying all of these horrible things. The fact is that it all stems from her Shalom Ba'is. And maybe us men not doing as good of a job as we should in making sure that she increases in her honor and her vitality. Another instance that is mentioned within that of the book is where we have that of a, uh, of a uh, husband that has all these women in his life. And when I say women in his life, I'm talking about, first of all, maybe he has daughters. He's got his wife. He's got his mother. He's got his sisters. I'm not talking about the, uh, you know, some chick at the office or, you know, so, you know, something like, like, like that. I'm talking about family. He has all these other women in his life. And let's say that it is that your wife goes and just, she does something that it says something that's not so good. And, and your mom goes and takes issue with it. The thing is that, first of all, what's going to end up happening is you know what's going to end up happening. You're in bed reading and all that stuff, or maybe watching television, got your glasses on, you know. And uh, then you hear, I cannot believe what it is that your mother had told me and said to me and the way she treated me. And, you just... and the thing about it, though, is that you're sitting over there and your gut instinct is saying, I'm going to defend my mother here. You don't talk about my mother, all right? That's your gut instinct. Instead, the response, even if your wife is in the wrong, even if she's in the wrong, you need to sit there and realize that first of all, she's first priority. We've covered this premise many times. She's first priority. You need to understand that. And then second of all, even when it is that she is in the wrong on a certain thing, you sit there, you listen, and you agree. And see things through her point of view. Okay? There, there, there's a right way to go about this and a wrong way to go about this. And the thing about it, though, is many times we act upon our gut instinct. And uh, we don't necessarily go and do things in the correct way. We also have another, another story within, within the book here. And it's about a man who... Um, First of all, wanted to give up on his marriage. And ultimately, what ended up happening is he, say, is he says, you know what, my wife, she doesn't want me to go to Torah study. She doesn't want me to learn the ways of the Mishnah. 
the Talmud, the, the uh, you know, or even to go to shul. She doesn't want me to uh, learn Torah Shevektav. She doesn't want me to learn, to, to learn the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim. And let's, for the sake of our faith, the Brit Tadashah as well, new, the New Testament. She doesn't want me to go into, to, to, uh, to learn those things. And so what I do is I go into my office at home. I shut the door as soon as I go home and I just go and study. I'm, you know, I'm serving the Lord. That's what I'm doing. I'm going and doing all these things. I go and I put on my tefillin in the morning. I go into Shakrit. I leave early every afternoon and then I go to Minka. I attend the study by Rabbi so and so and then I go and do this other study by this other rabbi and I'm learning my Hebrew. I'm learning my Aramaic and I'm, you know, going and taking these courses online and all that stuff. That's what I'm spending my time doing. And my wife wants nothing to do with it. She wants nothing to do with it at all. I am going to divorce my wife and I'm going to go and look for one that is going to support me in the things that it is that I want to do. She's not going to work against me. And so Rabbi Shalom Arush goes and says, no, dude, you shouldn't do that. First of all, you know, she's your wife. She was meant for you. And, and even if you marry the wrong person, let me tell you something. She is your soulmate. She is your besharet. Whether it is you want to admit it or not, she is. And so this is what Rabbi Shalom Arush goes and tells him. He disagrees. They go and they get divorced. Then, ultimately what ends up happening is Rabbi Shalom Arush goes and gets a letter from the man. And he says, Rabbi, I have, uh, I'm engaged. Getting ready to get married. This woman's just so incredible. She wants to support me in my study of, uh, and so on and so forth. And she's very well off. She has her hands in many different things. She even wants to support me and make sure that I don't have to work. I just spend my all my time just going to studying Torah. That's it. You know, this day, this this is a good deal for me. And you kind of see where this whole thing is going to go astray here now. Okay? <laughs> and so the rabbi goes and says, you know, that may not be such a good idea, dude. Uh, but he goes through through with it anyway. Four months later go by. The new wife goes to talk to Rabbi Shalom Arush. She goes to speak to him about her new husband. And she goes, I want a divorce now. He's like, he's like, well, what's the cut of the jib? What's going on here? And she says, she says, you know, the, first of all, he spends all of his time going and doing all of these other things. I'm a deeply, deeply religious person, but I get nothing. I have no shalom bayis whatsoever. It's almost like that I am just, you know, taking in a cat or a dog or something like that. You know, I'm providing for him to go and do all of these things, but he has no will to want to do anything for my emotional and physical needs. Anything that it is that, uh, you know, that it is that I want to talk to him about. He won't talk to me on a real level. He said over there, quote me Mishnah all day long. I go and I say, I want to talk real. And he's sitting over there go, well, you know, according to Deuteronomy, you know, and then Midrash Rabbi, you know, and all, and all, and all this stuff. She has no clue who this cat is. She has no clue who he is because he has no thoughts of his own. And so ultimately what ends up happening is she then goes and divorces him. And the reason being is because, first of all, we have to ask ourselves why it is that, first of all, if a man suddenly becomes so religious at some point, 
and the wife doesn't. How do, do two people live in Shalom Ba'is? How does this ultimately end up happening? First of all, something that is that we have established way before already on this program, women are made differently. They are made to be us men's tukun, our soul correction. That is their job, to be our soul correction. And the fact is that if a person doesn't have shalom ba'is, if they're not striving for shalom ba'is, then no matter what it is that your religious observation is, whether it be Christianity, whether it be the Hebrew Roots Bell movement, I mean movement, um, <laughs> the Messianic faith, or Lapid Judaism like myself, or whether it's Orthodox Judaism, doesn't matter. That whatever it is that your newfound faith is, or maybe it's a faith that you've had for quite some time, if it is that it is affecting your Shalom Ba'is, then the fact is that you are not properly applying any of the mitzvahs from any of these faiths whatsoever. Because ultimately what ends up happening is a woman has to feel like she's involved. She needs to have something that is hers. Things are emotional with women. They have to have something that it is that they can identify with and say, this right here, this is mine. This is something that it is that I do, that I enjoy doing. Now, if something is associated with a man with whom it is that she has learned to despise, then how is it that she can love the attributes of said faith if she, de if she despises the person that in which it is associated with? She can't. She can never come to faith. If a woman is working against you because of your faith and she has it in the past, the problem is not your faith. The answers do not come from you quoting her scripture. The answers do not come from you quoting her Talmudic dictum. The answers do not come from quoting Chazel. The answers do not come from you quoting to her Kabbalah or any of the great sages. It doesn't come from any of these things. What it instead comes to is first away, putting away the books. Putting away the books. Pushing them to the side and pulling her clothes. That's what it comes to. Being able to go and say, let's look at these things on a level to where it is, to where it is that it's affecting you. Let's, I want to hear your heart. I want to hear what's going on with you. I want to know how it is that I can help you. Whether it's in the scopes of faith or whether it's on the outside of the scope of faith. Because ultimately, men, you're fulfilling the two greatest mitzvahs through Shalom Ba'is. Even if it is that you are not studying Torah, even if you're not studying these things, you are fulfilling the mitzvahs of the Torah by having Shalom Ba'is. All right? Ladies and gentlemen, I hope and I pray that this has been a, a, a helpful to you and has been a blessing to you. And I hope to hear from more of you that have... Uh, talked about, you know, going and applying these things in your life and so on and so forth. And I, I always love hearing stories of Shalom Vice and increased Shalom Vice. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me.
But uh, I want to wish each and every single one of you Shalom Bracha. Make sure to go and share these teachings with your friends and all that stuff. You know, tell them to go to subscribe to us on iTunes as well. All right. Shalom Bracha. Peace and a blessing. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.